Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to That's My Favorite, the podcast where we geek out with naturalists. Today, I'm I'm all by myself here in the auditorium, so I thought it would be a great idea to talk about my favorite things for like the next hour. Um, just me rambling at the at the microphone. So here, April Fool's, um, <laughs> in case that wasn't clear. Um, yeah, no, in the spirit of April Fool's, I'm going to call everybody who's not here in the building because of our isolation and uh, ask them about their least favorite things. Oh, ho, ho. so I guess uh, here at the Nature Center, April Fool's Day is opposite day. Anyway, uh, let's give some people a call and see what they don't like. Nomadic cowbirds and poking the puffballs. I like turtles. And lightsaber frog calls. Fresh seaweed scat filled with persimmon seeds. Hello. Hello. Is this Nicole? Yes. Hey, um, what's up? Nothing much. Why? I just had a really quick question for you. It should only take maybe five minutes of your time. I was just just curious. What is your least mm-hmm. what is your least favorite thing? <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know. Like, as far as wildlife goes. Or just nature in general, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, probably leeches. Leeches? Leeches. I hate them very much. Why? Um, I, I just do. Like, okay, okay. So, like, ticks suck your blood and just <laughs> suck. Um, and, like, fleas also bite you but like leeches are just on a whole nother realm of gross blood-sucking critters and are like they them. are they really a whole different realm than yes, ticks they than ticks they're way worse than ticks why i don't know like because leeches like ticks if you like grab them they're solid you pull them off no big deal but like leeches you grab onto them and you pull on them and they just like stretch (laughs) and they're squishy and they look like an alien and they're not okay all right that's fair you know i've only (laughs) found a leech in kansas one time and it was attached to the bottom of a turtle yeah well, you're very lucky because they're <laughs> literally everywhere. I've had leeches on me twice. Um, one was at El Dorado Lake. I went swimming and I was like playing in the rocky water because it's all really rocky and dangerous. And I cut my foot and I was like, no big deal. Like, I got some bacteria in there. It just makes you stronger, right? <laughs> um, so I got back in the water and I got out like 10 minutes later there was a leech attached to my foot where I cut it oh no and I literally because like I like stepped on the grass and I was like my foot feels kind of weird let's check on it and I like bent my foot up to look at it and I just like collapsed into the grass because there was a leech on my foot and it wasn't okay (laughs) oh Oh, no (laughs) and I was just like eh somebody help me and nobody would help me because it was gross oh no and (laughs) I eventually managed to pry it off but it just it scarred me I'm so sorry Um, (laughs) thank you 
I guess being on stream um, team probably yeah. exposed you to ticks a lot, or not ticks, yeah. leeches a lot more than like the average human. Yeah, we found them um, up in the Republican River, I think, which is like right on the uh, border of Nebraska. And there was one river that we were in where they were just absolutely everywhere. And just the whole day, my skin was just crawling. And I was the only one that was bothered by them. Everybody else was like, oh, leeches, they're no worse than ticks. But I just, I don't know what it is. I, I don't like them. And, like, when we stopped for lunch, usually I, like, lay in the water and, like, eat my sandwich, like, a couple inches off the, top, the surface of the water. But that day, I, like, crawled up on the beach and, like, made sure even my toes were out of the water. And I was just, like, in a ball, like, eating my lunch. And it was, it was a lot. I'm feeling a lot of, like, secondhand disturbance over here on your behalf. Oh, man. Good. Um, well, well, thank you for that, Nicole. Um, you're so welcome. Stay safe. Don't, don't talk to me in person. Okay. Okay. I'll try to resist. Wait, one, one last thing. Oh, okay. Okay. If, if, if you don't believe me that ticks are, dis- or not ticks, uh, that leeches are disgusting, way worse than ticks, <laughs> um, look up a video of them like swimming in the water. Wait. Cause they, d- they, swim? they actively swim. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. that. And that made it way worse when I looked at when I looked that up. Like they don't just like squirm around in the water or like in the sand and stuff. Like they actively swim in the water. <gasps> and if you look up a video of it, it's like bizarre. Hey, I don't like it. Can you send me a video so I can post it on our website? <laughs> yes. Okay. Thanks. I appreciate it, fam. <laughs> All right. Well, you're so welcome. <laughs> stay, stay safe out there. Love you. See you. See you when I see you. Okay. Love you too. Okay. Okay. Goodbye. Hey. Hey, dude. How's that quarantine treating you? Oh, you know, I'm eating lunch on a Nicole time schedule, so it's going pretty good. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, I just had a really quick question for you, Cassie Stanley, volunteer uh-huh. coordinator at the Great Lakes yeah. Center. Um, yeah, that is me. <laughs> Confirmed. Um, what is your least favorite thing in nature? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, mosquitoes really suck. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> talking about bloodsuckers. All right. All right. I respect um, that. But I'm also not a big fan of grasshoppers. Oh, no. I forgot Which about that. Kind of weird because I love bugs. Like spiders are my favorite, but I I have not a great relationship with grasshoppers. I had a traumatic incident as a child where one bit me. and Okay, well, now we have to hear the whole story. I mean, that was pretty much it. I picked it up because <laughs> I, I loved bugs and I thought they were cool and I would pick them up. And grasshoppers just have that kind of a gaping mouth that they will I don't know they can chomp up grass with and it to me as a child uneducated it looked like it had no head and it bit me with what I thought was just like a gaping neck hole and um that that really freaked me out for a while I've since learned more about grasshopper anatomy and have started to appreciate them a little bit more lately but wow yeah that's that's traumatic is it (laughs) their jumping doesn't have anything to do with it or um the jumping a little bit too that's that kind of yeah kind of freaks me out but more so just just their their creepy mouths and how hard (laughs) they can bite (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. I'm like thinking of, I know some people who are afraid of crickets and a lot of it has to do with like, they're, they're so jumpy and unpredictable. But like, if you picked up the spider, it could bite you too, Cassie. Yeah. Yeah. That just doesn't freak me out as much. <laughs> okay. I respect that. Fangs are less creepy than labia. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks for calling. Yeah, no problem, Cassie. <laughs> uh, um, stay safe out there. Have have f fun. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you too. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Alrighty, bye. Bye. Well, hey, Deb, how's it going? Well, pretty good. Good. Uh, you want to guess why I'm calling? <laughs> uh, is it time for that podcast? <laughs> yes, I'm calling everybody to harass them about right. to ask them what their their least favorite things are. All right. Well, I uploaded my show notes to the SharePoint. Oh, great! Awesome. Just a little bit ago. Hang on a second. Let me find my notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No worries. So, Deb, uh, why don't you tell us what your least favorite thing is well my absolute least favorite thing is snake poop <laughs> and um so stories that help to back up my uh, approach to this being my least favorite thing uh first of all when i first started working at the nature center as an americorps service member it was our primarily primary responsibility to look after the animals and to clean their enclosures or their cages. And um, at that time, we had those plastic, um, I don't know how you would describe them, enclosures for the animals. Um, I, I don't oh, know yeah. what they made, they were made like the out of. front opening cages. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we had these kinds of mats that laid in the bottom that then were removed whenever they were um, needing to be cleaned. And then you would rinse them out and then uh, put a new dry one back in the enclosure for the animal. And I probably, because they weren't very uh, good at absorbing the waste material, the aroma was just awful for mm. them. And I just could walk into the classroom and I would immediately know that a snake had pooped <laughs> and I can't tell that anymore and I don't know someone who has never smelled it before this was the best description I could come up with it's even worse than a baby's poop when they've eaten something that causes them diarrhea oh gross worse than <laughs> baby diarrhea <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Those are some strong I, claims. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, but I think so. <laughs> but most of our enclosures are now lined with soil or sand, uh, depending on the species, and I'm sure that that allows for some better absorption. And uh, so, and again, if you've never, oh, I had one other story. I don't want to forget to tell. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, I remember that you and I had. Um, on our way to Newton with the black rat snakes and uh, the scout the event. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And one of the snakes pooped in the pillowcase, which is how we normally carry them. Um, so to keep them uh, in, a, in a, so that they're not getting out while we're traveling. And I remember that that between the nature center and my house, which is approximately 10 miles that <clears throat> one of the snakes pooped and 
it was leaking through the pillowcase. And so we stopped at my house. I got a clean pillowcase. I think you rinsed out the bag and rinsed off the snake before we continued on to Newton because there was no way I could have handled that smell in the truck any further. That was so convenient that your house just happened to be on the way to the scout event so we could just hose out the the soiled pillowcase. Yeah. So if you've never seen snake poop, I've included a picture in the show notes for people who have never seen it before. Awesome. And, but it's um, usually dark brown in color, but when it dries out, then it kind of turns whiter, chalkier in color. And um, the feces part is probably kind of like a little round tubular, tubular shaped and, or cord-like and have an irregular surface. Um, you're more familiar with bird poop. It's pretty similar to that. And, and the reason that it looks that way is that they both poop and pee at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's why you get this, I think, aroma as well as um, the different structure or look to the um, snake poop. So the brown stuff is the fecal matter, the poop, mm-hmm. and the white stuff is the uric acid, uh, the pee, but it comes out more in a, like a solid yeah so it's very much like a bird it's just a little bit of a different type of uh urine excretion yeah but the it's a combination of both the kidney waste and the intestinal waste since they only have the one opening the cloaca mm-hmm. and so that's an opening or near the length of the or what you would say probably starts the tail of the snake i don't know what's the best way to describe that can you think of a way to talk about where the cloaca is located it's kind of hard to do it without a snake here to show people what it looks like (laughs) but um it's on some snakes you can see like at the very very end of their body like the the tail and it all it all kind of looks like a tail but it narrows quite a bit and usually if you look around that area there's like one big scale that we call the vent and that's the scale that kind of lifts up, and that's where the cloaca would be. Um, usually, usually, if you're looking at, like, if you're somebody who owns a snake, you can look at their belly, and you can see a difference in the scales where the tail actually starts after the cloaca. Yeah. And I guess that's what I would say, too. It's kind of a bigger piece of scale. Um, I've noticed usually that it has kind of, like, rounded edges on it. Um, and, yeah. And even though it isn't completely open, you could see that it, it's – kind of has a, a place where it would lift up easily, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. Okay. Do you get asked well, a lot in, during your programs uh, about how snakes can poop? <laughs> um, not frequently, but hmm. um, I do have another topic I'm going to add into this at the end because I thought if I was just doing this program on poop, that I would have some interesting questions. So I tried <laughs> to address that. But um, but one thing you need to be careful about is that snake poop contains salmonella bacteria and can cause illness in humans if you're not careful about, just like right now with the virus, um, washing your hands and making sure that you don't touch the T-zone, which I actually learned from a fifth grader, which is your eyes, your nose, or your mouth on your face. So mm-hmm. And that makes kind of a letter T on so that you can remember not to touch the T-zone after you've handled the snake, it's probably a good idea. Um, good to know. Yeah, but I was thinking too, because I've never noticed them being adverse to just lying around in their feces or crawling <laughs> through either. So, right. um, yeah, they probably 
do have it on their bodies if they're not in a large enclosure where they can leave it behind, I guess. Yeah. So how often do they poop? Well, uh, what I found, um, a variety of answers to that. Uh, Rat snakes said approximately every two days, if they eat infrequently, then, then they will poop less or defecate more infrequently. And the snakes at the nature center are generally offered food on Mondays. And notice I said offered, they don't always eat. But I usually think of Friday as poop day. So if I have a Friday program, I'm uh, always just a little anxious that perhaps that's going to be the day that they decide to expel the feces. And (laughs) so I do worry about taking a snake out on a Friday. But um, temperature can also affect that digestive process and their ability to expel uh, the fecal matter. So lower temperatures will slow down the process. Um, I have a few sites that I've referenced here that you can find some additional information, but one of them said that their optimal digestion occurs at about 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. And um, all portions of the prey animal are broken down by enzymes within the stomach, so the bones, the feathers, the teeth, and other hard substances will pass through the digestive system, and that will be a part of the excretion. So that's similar to birds, too. And, yeah. Uh, and um, I don't think... Oh, go ahead. Well, I don't think, like, the bones and stuff will come out in the feces in birds. No. Oh, in birds, uh, no. I haven't seen that. Yeah. But in their um, uh, regurgitation of the, the owl pellet or the pellet that, that they um, cough up, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and I saw too that if a snake is interrupted during their digestive process so like they just started eating an animal and maybe they know it's not pushed very far down into their uh, digestive system that they'll regurgitate their meals so that they can focus on escaping gotcha okay cool yeah and then this one i found on a blog from researchers in museums and the organization is called ucl and one of their statements was that up to 5 to 20% of a snake's body weight at any given time may be fecal matter. So if you was a human being and you weighed 130 pounds, then it could be anywhere from 6.5 to 26 pounds of feces in your body. Oh, if wow. Making a comparison to, to you to the snake. In other words. But it says that um, if a snake uh, is eating a particularly large meal, with, um, then their body mass will potentially double then because of the fecal matter in their digestive tract. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> or intestinal tract, I guess I should say. Right, right. Yeah. So how much poop they have also depends on how big the snake is and where it lives matters as well. So if you have an arboreal snake or one that lives in a tree, then they will probably defecate sooner after eating so that they can maximize their mobility or move around more quickly. And a terrestrial or a land snake might lie still for days on end, and since they don't always require that speediness to get away. And then I included a picture in the notes of a snake that I found when Connie and I were out playing golf at Fox Ridge and Newton. And it was just laying perfectly still, and I was able to get pretty close to get a pretty good picture of it. So there's a good picture of it. It's a huge snake, and just lying very still, not moving at all. 
So I wonder if he had had just eaten a big meal. <laughs> and could be. Yeah. And then the last topic uh, for my discussion, while I'm not generally known for openly discussing indelicate topics, uh, this one I couldn't resist because as I was uh, getting information from different resources, this question kept coming up, and that was, does a snake fart? <laughs> and, <laughs> what a great question. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, a fart is defined as an emission of gas from the anus. And, and when you think about it, well, a snake doesn't have an anus. So maybe that would be one answer to the question. Oh. But yeah, so, but I did find a couple of different answers from two different resources. And the first one says that they don't pass gas, but they will often defecate and urinate or poop and pee to scare predators off. And um, some of them have musk or scent glands that open into the vent, and they that will be very odoriferous. Um, what is what snake have do we have at the nature center that will do that on occasion? That will do what in particular? Well, uh, the musk or this uh, emit the musk or scent. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we have had a few. I'm trying to think of who we have right now that does that. Yeah. Do we have anybody right now? I don't, I don't think so. We used to have a garter snake and uh-huh. uh, a lined snake, and those guys would do it a lot. Okay. Well, uh, the second resource, uh, well, that was, excuse me, this is still part of the first one, said that actually passing gas is another matter altogether that healthy repti- reptiles don't usually generate enough gas in their gastrointestinal tract, and it could mean that they are suffering from some kind of intestinal problem, so they're ill if oh. you are smelling a stronger odor. And perhaps, um, and I had read in another source, and I can't remember the exact temperature, so I won't quote that, but um, that, for instance, if an animal would eat right before they started the brumation process, which is slowing down their uh, metabolism for the winter, that that animal would um, rot in their system and cause them to die. Oh, gross. Because it wouldn't be, wouldn't digest. And so they wouldn't be able to defecate or to get rid of the feces or the waste products. And again, maybe the animal got too cool right after they ate, and that would cause them to have a lot of extra gas in the digestive tract. So maybe that's why you would. Um, have fart from a snake. <laughs> <laughs> so if your snake farts, be concerned. <laughs> yeah, most okay. likely. Although the uh, the second source had a different answer to this one, and it says some species also swallow air and then expel it out their butts, and that counts as a fart too, according to the definition. So an example they gave was the Sonoran coral snake has an anus-like hole called the cloaca that can suck in air and then expel it with a popping noise to ward off predators. And that this resource counts that as a fart. So, so that's like a defensive fart because he's pulling in air through the cloaca and then expelling yeah. it to, to make a sound that scares yeah. predators away? <laughs> yep, that's what I understand. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so if you would like to read more about farts or <clears throat> the emission of gas from the anus, um, there are two books or resources that I found. One is more of a children's book called Does It Fart? A Kid's Guide to the Gas Animals Pass. And That's the second <laughs> And the second one is called Does It Fart? 
the definitive field guide to animal flatulence. So there you go. I cannot believe that these books exist. <laughs> we need to get Richard to get them in the gift shop for us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, maybe so. Yeah. So that's what I have to tell you about snake poop today. Oh, Deb, that was absolutely delightful for something you don't like. <laughs> Well, as I got to, uh, to reading more and more, I, I got more interested and I wanted to know the question. And as <laughs> I would, uh, you know, look for some information on Google, then I'd see other questions that were there. And mm-hmm. so I, I enjoyed researching it. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> I guess it, it goes to show that you can still find things you don't like to be quite interesting. Yeah, but I'm still <laughs> going to go with, well, the rest of the information was very interesting, the odor. I could do without every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Well, thank you, Deb. That was delightful. Uh, stay safe at home, and uh, I'll see you when I see you. All right. Can't wait to hear this podcast because I don't know what others are coming up with as their least favorite. So. Yeah, so far it's a lot of bloodsuckers. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I remember Nicole was telling me leeches. Her least favorite. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Well, have a great day. You too, Deb. (laughs) Bye bye. Bye. Hello. Alicia. Hi. Hey. Voice. It's nice to hear your voice too. (laughs) Well, um, I'm just calling because I have a very conspicuous question to ask you for our April Fool's podcast. <laughs> oh, yes, that's true. That is coming up. Uh-huh. So I am just wondering, just casually wondering, like, what is your least favorite thing about nature or the outdoors? Ooh, that's hard because I like a lot of things. In fact, I don't know that I dislike things, but I do have things that are my least favorite. Okay. Okay. That's fair. So that I can say my least favorite thing, burrs, buckle burrs, seed burrs, all of those. Those are my least favorite thing. Oh my. Okay. I can get on board with that. Um, I would like to hear your justification for these being your least favorite, although I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to this. Um, well, what I find the most annoying thing, I suppose, about them, if I'm allowed to find something annoying, you are, is, is the fact that these, the seeds, they're called burrs, obviously, um, most people would recognize one if it bit them in the foot, which is typically what happens to me. (laughs) They are a hard kind of round spherical type of seed with spikes or spine on them which are made for the purpose or i should say the plant does it for the purpose of seed dispersal so they're made to stick to fur or clothing and obviously be dispersed throughout the land Ah. unfortunately i find them very very obnoxious compared to other seeds which do the same thing because these guys like i said they have those spines so they don't just casually hang onto or stick onto clothing. They like impale you through the clothing. <laughs> okay, so we're specifically not talking about like the um, tick seeds and things like that that just kind of stick to you like Velcro. We're talking specifically what? about the spiky ones that just nail you mm-hmm. in the sock. Okay. 
Exactly. Um, so I, I like the other ones, actually. I find them, there's actually some of my favorite things are <laughs> things like uh, gallium, which is the bed straw. And that whole plant is sticky like Velcro. And I love just playing with it. I have um, no which, idea what plant you're talking about. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you should definitely look it up. Um, it's the whole plant. It's, it's very long, very tall and very skinny, but all of the leaves and all of the stem have these very fine uh, type of like hairs on them. So the whole thing is like a giant piece of Velcro. So you can actually like throw them around and they'll stick to clothing and everything. Whoa. It's really, um, but yeah, the ones that you mentioned, like uh, tick seed or beggar's tick, um, stick seed, I think I've also heard it called Spanish needle. Those are those really tiny seeds with like two little hooks on the end, like dual prongs. Mm. Um, and those, yeah, I've been covered in those, but you can pull them out real easy. Uh, yeah, specifically the ones I don't like are the burr plants. So there's, I think there's like three different uh, families and genuses because it's it's all throughout the plant kingdom. Uh, the ones that you can find in Kansas that most people know about anyway. Because uh, the most annoying one is probably the cockleburrs, which, mm. yeah, those are, they're part of the Asteraceae, so they're part of the daisy family. Uh, specifically, the genus is actually found in the sunflower tribe. So it's a xanthium is the genus. And those are like your common cockleburrs. Uh, so those are in, they're an herbaceous plant. I think they're actually listed as like a noxious weed in some states. Oh man, people have it out for these cockleburrs. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Iowa is even one of them. They really don't like them. And it makes sense because I did a tiny bit of research to kind of back up why I don't like them. And I was surprised to find out that the seeds themselves are actually really toxic. No. Yes. Like toxic um, how? What do they do? Um, well, the spines, the seedling plants have them too, but the spines on those burrs are actually full of um, a chemical called CAT, which is carboxy atrolocide, um, I think. Atrolose, I am butchering this horribly. <laughs> That's okay. What, what do you mean the spines have it? Is it injected into you? What? Um, it's, it's part of the chemical makeup of the seed is my understanding. Oh. And, but what it does is it's, it's a really kind of nasty chemical because what it does is it inhibits uh, ADP, ATP translocase. <gasps> Mitochondria. Yes. Oh, which no. Means that, which means that you can't, you can't do any, you can't make any energy. You can't, do, your body, it can't do anything. Oh, um, my gosh. So, yeah, it's at a very basic molecular level that messes up. And um, some like livestock if they eat seedlings because it's not just the seeds it's the seedlings obviously which makes sense because they're full of it also like i think it's like one to two percent of your body weight if you eat it you can go into like a coma and die oh my gosh who in yeah. their right mind would eat a cockleburr though i have no idea but i'm sure there's there's like the poor cow or pig that's out there that accidentally eats it because <laughs> they don't always pay attention <laughs> yeah, yeah could be could yeah. be yeah wow uh, so they're nasty. The other ones that a lot of people will call cockerburrs, but they are known as, I think, sandburrs more commonly. And those those are grass. So they're in a completely mm. Okay. So I I hear people calling them in this area a lot, stickers. Mm -hmm. And like you, you don't even realize they're there because it's a grass. And so it just blends in with whatever field you're walking through. And it was like the bane of our like recess existence as children. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay. <laughs> So 
Oh, sorry. No, um, I'm, I'm like trying to, to visualize what a cocklebird looks like too, but maybe, maybe, um, describe what the, um, sandbur is and what it's like, and then maybe compare it to the cocklebird. Cause I don't think a lot of people realize what like cocklebird flowers look like or what the plant itself looks like too. Cause they just notice the really nasty spiky things sticking to them. Yeah, sure. Um, probably sandburrs, which are the grass are a little bit easier to start with. Um, so those are the really tiny ones. It's in the short grass. So the grass doesn't get very tall. It doesn't even, it gets kind of like ankle length. I think of some of the taller, uh, cocklebur grass that I've seen and are not cocklebur sandbur. Wow. I'm already messing. <laughs> um, so those grasses, they're pretty short and they're the ones with the little tiny seeds that are mostly about the size of your pinky nail. Um, and they're round, they're almost completely round with those big spikes out of them and they're green. Uh, it's only when the grass really dries out, they turn that very, very pale sandy color. Uh, and they're the ones that you frequently get in your shoes and your sandals and things like that. And they're not that much fun. They're the ones that are probably the more painful of the two. Yeah. Uh, They've got those yeah. like really thick, like spikes. They're, they're less like Velcro and more like just death pain. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, Cocklebur plants, on the other hand, again, they're in the, um, they're in the sunflower family. All right. Well, uh, so they got, they get pretty big. So the plants themselves, depending on whether it, the species, uh, but they generally have, can vary in height, but they generally have large, broad leaves, uh, kind of, um, like a heart-shaped kind of leaf a little bit with some lobed kind of curves in it, the way like mulberry leaves kind of do. Mm. And then the cockleburs themselves, because uh, most people don't actually, I think, see the flowers on it very often. No. Kind of, I um, can't even picture oh, it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I actually, I tried looking for some flowers, and it's a little bit harder to find because the um, the flowers, they look a little bit, because they're obviously from the seed, because then it becomes the seed pod. Um, the flowers are kind of like a, like a mini thistle almost. Oh. Yeah, they're, they're really kind of cute when they're, they, they look very innocuous. It's kind of like, oh, here's this plant with these big green leaves, and it's got these tiny little like mini thistle type kind of flowers, and they, they are, they're purple. Um, but the cocklebirds themselves, they're the larger ones. So they're more like your index fingertip size, and they're kind of oval. So they're not round. And the spikes or the spines on them are shorter, I think, comparatively to the burr than they are on the sand burrs on the grass. Gotcha. But, yeah. So if you see, um, like, a really dried out old stem... And I can send you a picture, too, from, I, I think it's like a Minnesota. Ooh, yeah, but, please, please. Yeah, so you can put that. Um, but you can see the plant, and it's got, like, cockleburs all over it. And they actually kind of hollow out. And sometimes I've been able to, like, shake them kind of like you would, like, bundle weed or the others. And you can hear them rattling inside a little bit. Um, they don't seem to come off the plant as easily as the sandburrs do. Hmm. That's but, yeah. Yeah, but the last one that is probably the one that everybody recognizes and hates with a passion. In fact, my husband took one look at the picture when he, because he couldn't remember what I was calling, buffalo burr. 
<laughs> he took one look at that plant and he went, oh, that, I hate it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. We, we have it in the park here. And uh, I put it on a scavenger hunt one year for eco meat. And uh, I went out to collect some samples and just regretted my life <laughs> choices. <laughs> yes. Buffalo burr is, and it, it makes sense. It's a very uh, defensive plant in a lot of ways because <laughs> it's, it's in that nightshade family. So it's very much a, uh, please don't mess with me and go away. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of people probably know buffalo burrs and the burrs from those. Uh, also because the plant itself, of course, is covered in wonderful, sharp, spiny things. So they, they look really pretty. I actually love the way the flowers look, but you find them in really disturbed areas uh, typically, which is one of the reasons they're called buffalo burrs is because you find them in like buffalo wallows and places oh. where they grew. Yeah. And they would, so I, I would imagine that uh, bison would be kind of a big transporter of those burrs. Wow. So imagining those things sticking to thick woolly bison fur makes a lot of sense why it's so dang spiky and why it's like definitely overpowered against our naked human skin exactly i mean we're we're pretty fragile actually <laughs> we, we don't have a lot of fur or hair covering us to help catch these seeds that are meant for typically mammals um so we're mammals at least well, we are mammals, but <laughs> with the fragile mammals, we, do, Fur, we don't have furry a lot. mammals. <laughs> yeah, not furry mammals. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I actually—that was the other thing I found out because I wanted to look them up, and I was showing a picture, and I saw one with uh, some Colorado potato beetles on it. And I guess before some of things like potatoes were introduced up into North America, farther up, I and. I guess that was the host plant originally was that buffalo burr for those. Oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it, it may give people another reason not to like the plant because I know a lot of people don't like those. Okay. But it could also like potentially distract them from your vegetables and produce. Exactly. I don't know if you really want to remove the plant if you find it, but maybe if you step on it, you you might have like a personal vendetta. Your foot does with it. So <laughs> I can. Well, oh, that is the other thing. You did mention Velcro. I wanted to make sure that um, if you wanted to piece it in later, I don't know how. Um, no, cockleburs are actually what gave that Swiss scientist, his name was um, Mestrel, I think, George. G, Georgie, I don't know, something. Uh, Mestrel, the idea for Velcro. Oh. Yeah, so he actually did use cockleburs for his Velcro idea. So they are like Velcro. Oh my gosh. So what you're saying is cockleburs have actually contributed to our society in a meaningful way. Yes, they have. <laughs> so they are, they are a very neat part of nature. I just find them to be my least favorite thing. That's fair. I respect that. <laughs> I have one more question for you, Alicia. Yes. As somebody who really would not consider these things to be one of your favorites, um, <laughs> do you have any tips for people who just happen to find themselves assaulted by cockleburs or sandburrs? Like, how do you get them off of your body? Ooh, it 
it depends on what they're on, uh, and it depends on the burr. Cockle burrs usually you can peel off um, without too much pain involved. I know sand burrs, I've uh, hurt my fingers quite a bit trying to pick them off, and then they stick to your fingers, and it's not that great. Mm. The, the best course I would recommend is if you, if you have either gloves on and you're just walking through like with jeans or something, go ahead and just brush them off. They should brush off pretty, pretty well. If you have just one or two and you, they've managed to uh, lodge themselves in a tender portion of your body, I would highly recommend tweezers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Uh, otherwise, unless you have like a quail running around that wants to eat them or something, I would just recommend gently extracting them to the best of your ability and to prepare yourself for a certain amount of pain. Oh, <laughs> gotta love organisms where you have to use the word extract uh, when you're talking about <laughs> removing them. <laughs> oh, gosh. Cool. Well, Alicia, unless there's, yes, anything, right. unless there's anything else you wanted to uh, add? Um, just that I'm really happy that you got to call while I'm in quarantine. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> hey, um, stay safe. You too. And I look forward to seeing you soon, hopefully. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. At the very least, probably a Zoom meeting at some point. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. I will look forward to staff meeting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, see you later, Alicia. I'll see you later, Rachel. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, hello. Oh, hey, nerd. What's going on? Oh, hey, you know, just working. Just the work. Oh, are you in the building right now? Yeah. <laughs> what? Do I, I saw you this morning. <laughs> I didn't know if you were still here. It feels like it's been a long time. I've been calling people <laughs> like for an hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. Do you want me to just come in there? Oh, heck yeah. That's awesome. Okay, see you okay. soon. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so, Emily, hey, mm -hmm. um, welcome to the auditorium. Thank you. It's very convenient that you're I've here. I've never been here before. <laughs> April Fools. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, um, what's your least favorite <laughs> thing in nature? I think you know the answer to this question. I do? Oh, yeah. I oh, wait. Like no, spiders. I definitely know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Spiders freaking creep me out. <laughs> I'm not as terrified of them as I used to be. Um, and, like, again, I appreciate them. I know what they do. Like... I get that they eat all the bugs. We'd have more bugs that would be gross if there were no spiders. But they just, it, it's kind of like how I used to feel about birds. I used to be <gasps> afraid of birds. Also, not that I didn't like them. Okay. But birds used to freak me out because I fe felt like they were going to peck my eyeballs out. Oh. Because they do go for the eyes sometimes. Oh, they totally do. Yeah, and that's really scared me. And they can fly, and I can't do that. So, <laughs> Like you can't handle that or you can't fly? I can't fly. <laughs> that's not a reason to hate. Oh, okay, well. No, again, I don't hate them. They just freaked me out. That's fair. Now that I've worked with birds more, they don't scare me as much. But I also have more respect for them. And sometimes respect can be tied into fear where, like, you fear them so much you respect them. Yeah. 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 I feel that. But we'll go back to spiders now because I still haven't lost that fear for spiders like I have for birds. Just, uh, you know, spiders, they got too many eyeballs. They got too many legs. 
and they can be really, really fast. And sometimes they're really big, like those giant fishing spiders. Yeah, those are so cool. Oh, no, they freak me out. They freak me out really bad. And then sometimes they're really tiny, and they just scurry around. And, like, I remember my husband, Tucker, we were just chilling downstairs in our basement. We have a finished basement, so it's pretty nice. But, like, all of a sudden, he freaked out. And I was like, what is wrong with you? And apparently a um, nice little spider was crawling up his leg and he could just <gasps> fill it in his leg hair. And then like he knocked it off of him and it was on our carpet somewhere and we couldn't find it for a while. Oh no. And so they just, they're very fast. They're very agile. They're very sneaky and unpredictable. And so I just, that makes me nervous. Okay. That makes me nervous really bad. And so it's just like, it's just, it's a lot for me to handle. I, I can be an anxious person and they make me anxious and I don't appreciate it. Okay. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> I definitely get that. But they're nice to have outside. If they're outside, I leave them alone. I don't mess with them. I know they're doing their thing out there, but if they're in my house, it is a, a different story because I am not one to pick them up. We even have our nice, awesome tarantula here. Um, and I've, I've held him before, but Nicole really had to help me out. Yeah. Because I, I couldn't I couldn't find it in myself to get him off of me. Aww. I just <laughs> I had to try really hard not to drop him because I was it made me very nervous. Aww. So it's very irrational. My hatred and fear of them is completely irrational and I recognize that. But it's it's deeply embedded in my soul. Yeah. You know, honestly the fact that you were even willing to give it a chance enough that you were yeah. willing to pick up a tarantula yeah. and just try and actually go through with it, <laughs> I think shows a level of like I don't know, um, integrity well, that I really respect oh, about I you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Some people who have like those kind of deep innate ingrained fears just aren't even willing to attempt to change mm. that in themselves yeah. or to confront themselves yeah. with that fear. And I tried it. It didn't work. I was okay. able to hold it at least. <laughs> but but tarantulas freak me out a little bit less, I think, because, I mean, they're a lot bigger, so I notice them more easily. So in that way, they're not as sneaky in my brain. And also they're hairier, which makes them seem more mammal-like in my brain. Oh, that's a really interesting. Re- yeah, it doesn't stance. make any sense, but it just makes me feel a little bit better. But once they're crawling on me, I get kind of freaked out. Yeah. yeah. Still, every time I have to like feed him or water him, since we have the one here at the nature center, I'm very, very careful and make sure I'm aware of where he is <laughs> inside of the cage. Because <laughs> it just, it, yeah. So not my favorite at all, but I, I appreciate them. And what they do, they just need to do their things at a social appropriate distance. Gotcha. I'm going to ask you a question that might be slightly controversial depending on your answer and who's listening to this podcast. But what is your stance on house spiders? (laughs) (laughs) I, I get why some people have them. I will not have one. That's okay. I, I will not have one. If, if it's one, If it is one that is up in the corner and I can see where it is, that's fine. Especially if it's in the basement. That doesn't bother me. If it's up in the corner and I can see him in his little web. The problem is the ones that are generally in my house have been brown recluses or the, um, 
I guess, wolf spiders that don't do that. They're on the ground prowling around and that that freaks me out more if it's up in a corner in a web like charlotte you know that's that's fine it kind of sounds like it's the predictability that you can get on board with and when they're acting unpredictable like they're prowling around randomly like like, nope yeah if they have a web you know where to expect exactly and that's that's totally fine with me huh yeah what if the web was on your toothbrush then it's gonna drown. <laughs> I was just I have checking. to brush my teeth. So. <laughs> okay, okay, that's fair. Yeah. Um, my second question is: um, It seems like for some of the people I've talked to already, like Nicole with leeches and stuff, mm. like they they have like a really specific incident, like a story of what has happened to them to start that. Okay, you made a face that indicated mm-hmm. you do indeed have oh, one. So yes. please fill us in on how this started for you. So spiders always just creep me out because I think in general like that's just something that creeps people out but it got much much worse to where like I I seriously will spaz out with them whenever I was working in the field um, doing terrestrial crew stuff for broadhead skinks in eastern Kansas um, about three years ago and so we were out in the forest pretty much all summer and of course spiders sometimes like to build their webs in between trees And so every morning we would go to these same sites that we were doing these surveys on. And every morning we would have to walk through new spider webs since they just rebuild them after we've broken through them. And so I literally had all summer of just walking through spiders webs, which that's like the worst feeling in the world is having spider webs on you. And you don't exactly know if there's going to be a spider attached to that web when it's on you. And one specific time there there was a spider in the web. And it was one of those really big, um, I think they're called castle weaver spiders oh, with the yeah. spiky backs. Yeah. It was one of those guys. And my crew turns around after I've gone through this web and I'm freaking out trying to get it off of me. And they're like, hey don't freak out but there's a spider on your hat and so of course I freaked out I immediately like flooped my hat off of my head and threw it and started like waving my arms everywhere um and so just it was it was not a good experience for me and even the other night like it was just like a little flashback where I actually had I was just sitting on the couch at my um parent-in-law's house and and there was a spider crawling up my arm and I legit flipped a lid I it was too much for me and just feeling their spindly little legs on me I can't I can't do it so yeah it it really got a lot worse um just because that whole summer I was just tripping out in spider webs and had one on my hat very close to my face and it was it was too much oh no I guess, like, just the constant high stress of that, like, maybe happening again mm-hmm. and then, like, fearing that would happen and then yep. having it happen. <laughs> yep. Ugh, that's awful. Yep. It's so interesting that that was so recent for you. Like, yeah. as an adult, you've yeah. had this, like, traumatic experience that just, like, you had, like, a small fear before, you said. Yes, yeah. It just was exasper- exasperated. 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 Exasperate. Exacerbated. Yes. I'm just going to let you say that word exacerbated yes exacerbated (laughs) there it is it was exacerbated uh by that situation ah mm-hmm mm-hmm you want to hear something really funny I guess so (laughs) I I talked to Cassie earlier and uh 
she said that one of her least favorite things was grasshoppers. Oh, really? Yeah. I know a lot of people who are freaked out by grasshoppers. Yeah. Actually. It's kind of insane to me. Like, I didn't realize that until I had a yeah. couple of grasshoppers, and then people were like, oh, God, I can't handle that. And I was like, oh, And it's so wow. weird because that's never bothered me. Yeah. I love grasshoppers. Yeah, they're so cool. Yeah. They seem so harmless and stuff. But then it turns out the reason why Cassie was afraid of them is because she's been bitten by them. Oh, it wasn't that see, they. I have not. Yeah, me either. And I don't really know of any people. I mean, I've. Some people huh. maybe like feel like they get pinched or something, but yeah, yeah like it's straight up bitter. And uh, she, that just freaked her out too bad. And it wasn't mm. how they move or jump or that kind of thing. And I was like, Cassie, you realize that when like you pick up spiders, they can bite you too. And she was like, yeah, but like it's the grasshoppers that I'm afraid of. Because <laughs> <laughs> she loves spiders. Yeah. She absolutely loves spiders. Well, that's just so interesting. Like. There's, there's, I guess my, my point is like, it, it seems like for some of the like reasons why people have fears Mm -hmm. of things, it's other animals or other things could totally have the same like thing that they're afraid of, but Mm -hmm. it's just like that one particular animal just has like all the right things together with -hmm. an experience and stuff that just like tips you over the edge and you just can't. It's just a little bit too much. Yeah. Yeah. So that for me is (laughs) spiders. Not, not my favorite. (laughs) All right, we respect that, and that's why uh, um, we try not to force you to uh, do spidery things. And I appreciate that very much so. Oh, man. Sometimes I wonder if people see our spider content on Facebook and stuff, and, uh, you know, like the TikTok of you and the tarantula and Lindsay. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if people think that we're just, like, making fun, and no, it's, like, no, Emily it's really, yeah. Has, has that TikTok was not a joke. <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, Emily. You are so welcome. Anytime. (laughs) Would you mind, uh, by the way, just explaining to us why you actually are in the Nature Center, just so nobody's like yelling at us for not social distancing? Yeah, so I'm in the Nature Center right now because we need to feed our animals. I prepare all the animal food at the beginning of the week. So I'm I'm here on Mondays prepping all the food for our turtles and our possum and all our other guys and feeding our snakes and stuff so that, you know, they can keep on living and doing education programs when we're back at it in a month or so. So yeah, that's what I'm here for. And then I'll go home and not be with animals anymore. Oh, what about Norbert? Or Norbert. I'll be with Norbert, <laughs> my newt. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Hey, Rachel. <laughs> do you do you have a least favorite nature thing? Yeah. Yeah. That was a Thank you for thank you for asking me because yeah. I don't know I like ranting about stuff I mm-hmm. guess but um I was kind of I guess torn between like three different things oh my gosh I know uh, well it's not like I guess for me it's less of a fear and more things that just like bother me okay um that I feel like get in the way of enjoying the outdoors if that makes sense mm-hmm. and like. Obviously, you know, like, my, my like, most least favorite things. <laughs> um, one of them is Sasquatch. Yeah. Which is not a surprise to you at all. No, not at all. Or probably a lot of our listeners, because I <laughs> make jabs at Bigfoot as often as possible. Um, but I guess my other least favorite thing is checklists. Oh. And I kind of... Like birding checklists. Yeah. Okay. I really don't like birding checklists. Okay. And I thought maybe that was, like... I don't know if more interesting than Sasquatch, but like more unexpected. Cause it yeah, really is I like think a, it is more unexpected from you. Yeah. Like I'm a birder. Yeah. I'm pretty involved in birding communities. 
I'm a mat, an admin on a birding meme group. Like not for birds, birding. <laughs> <laughs> but I really don't like checklists. Okay. Um, Explain. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess my thing about checklists is, um, I feel like when you are going outside to basically play like a scavenger hunt mm-hmm. for wildlife sightings, it kind of turns it into more of like a game of just like seek and find, check it off, ignore it, and keep going. Um, you see what I'm what I mean? So like more of a competition than an appreciation. Exactly. Okay. I feel like it it makes me ignore birds it makes Mm. it kind of perpetuates the feeling of like um common birds or you know I guess whatever you're looking at um but the the more common animals just being like I don't know garbage you just like overlook and it's like well I check it off my list or whatever and I just Mm -hmm. and some and I guess I kind of go back and forth on there's a lot of really cool birding apps out there like eBird has Mm -hmm. their checklist apps and stuff and there's a lot of really incredible value to documenting yeah. your birds and to documenting the things that you're seeing out there. And, um, so I, I do go back and forth, but like, I guess for me, it's just when I'm birding, I want to look at everything that's actually out there and I want to yeah. be paying attention and I want to just like, I want to notice different behaviors and different vocalizations that they're making. And, I guess make more like observations and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see a lot of people who are interested in making checklists, not even bother with like trying to count common species either. So they'll say like, well, I saw some Canada geese. I'll just check that one off. But mm-hmm. you know, I'll count every single yellow warbler that I see. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not even really helping either because you're not contributing to science. You're not no. like helping us understand population growth. You're just, you know, yep, it was sure there. And it's like an abundance thing. Yeah, because when we lose those those most common species, that's when it's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Like the birds that should be here in great numbers are not here. And so that would be almost be more important is to pay attention to those species that would be more common then. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of people, like I've, I've heard anecdotes from e-birders who uh, will have their little patch that they bird all the time. That's what they call it. Like your little, like your, your, your patch where you go out and like, oh, it's like your, your most territory. Yeah. Like your oh birding territory. <laughs> and so people will bird like their little patch, um, like religiously. And the people that <laughs> pay attention to every single species out there and actually like count all the Canada geese and the mallards and things like that, they'll notice cool patterns like, Oh, for these like two to four weeks, all the mallards disappeared that are always in the pond. And see, that would be really interesting if people were paying more attention to that. Exactly. Like, that sounds really cool. And it turns out like, oh, that's when they're in eclipse plumage because then you see them again. And so uh-huh. they're flightless and that's why you're not seeing them. Yeah. And so like that kind of thing is, it's really cool and it's important to, so I don't know, for me, checklists are for science mm-hmm. and maybe for your own personal records. Like I mm-hmm. keep a life list of all my birds I've ever seen. So if I see a brand new bird, like that's really cool and I want to keep it on my list um but if you're not doing either of those things and you're just like birding to be like oh I found this cool rarity oh yeah. I like drove to Texas to find a pyroloxia and then I left mm-hmm. again and you're not really like if that's the only reason you're keeping checklists and birding that just seems kind of hollow and boring to me and it's yeah. like what's the point it's like what's it. where's the heart behind it like yeah it takes the heart out yeah. of birding that's not what it's about yeah those birds need to be appreciated dang it yeah yeah tally them at least don't just check them off your list (laughs) 
gosh. It's like, um, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. I feel like it does, but I think it's also a very not mainstream opinion in the birding community. Mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know, everybody keeps checklists and that's just like the thing you do. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Yeah, even like, okay, did I, did I, uh, you're not really on Facebook that often, so I don't think I invited <laughs> you to hashtag bird the feck at home. I think I saw it somewhere. <laughs> um, that might yeah. have been in Discord. It might have been, it. yeah. Um, so there's a, a movement right now to like see how many birds across the oh, world. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Oh, I mentioned it at staff yes. meeting this morning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, that was just an it wasn't an abundance list at all. It was mm-hmm. just like a species checklist, and we got 922 species across the world in 24 hours from our backyards. In 24 hours. In 24 That's hours. So cool! Yes. I didn't realize how short the time frame I was. I know it was a big Sunday. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but even that, it's like, well, shoot! It's like the first person that just happens to see a morning dove just gets their name on the list and then nobody else gets to report a morning dove anymore. Oh, wait, really? Yeah, because it's just like we're counting how many species we find. I know. That's kind of sad. I know, but people were encouraging folks to keep like a full eBird checklist and submit it, but Mm -hmm. like how many people actually did that? Because Mm -hmm. it would be a much cooler scientific effort if everybody was encouraged to submit complete eBird checklists. Yeah. And then we could, from that data, like extrapolate the number of species, but we'd still be able to contribute more to science Mm -hmm. than just like, well, you know, Anna down in Texas already found a morning dove. So I guess that's it for morning dove reporting. For the whole world? For the whole, like, country. <laughs> oh, for the whole country? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the whole world. We, we were having a country competition. <laughs> so Belize actually got, like, some of the most birds. It was crazy. Oh, that's they cool. They got more than North uh, America, Dang. USA. Yeah. Go Belize. That's yeah. impressive. <laughs> and that's um, weird, too, because, like, yeah, there's morning doves in America, but that can change a lot for each species, like, countrywide you know yeah. it's different for every state too and I imagine it's the same for exactly. all countries and see like wouldn't it be cool to see like a like an almost a distribution map of like yes. well which one of these I birds are that. more common yeah I want to see it like region. visually and mm-hmm. that would be a a lot easier to do if you had more information about exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. So I'm not saying like never use eBird and don't collect data yeah. and contribute to it's science. Handy. It is. But it could be more handy. It could be more handy. Yes. Don't take the heart out of birding just because you're like, you know, having a little competition. Yes. It's with not your mates. what it's about. It's not about that. This is not a sport, dang it. No. It's for science. I mean, I guess for some people it's it might be a sport. <laughs> it's a sporting science. Yeah. <laughs> but you should have heart in any sport that you do then. Yes. Especially when it involves birds. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess badminton's on there too. It has to. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're right. Isn't it? Don't they call it a birdie? It's a birdie. Yeah. yeah, I think so. <laughs> Oh, geez. Well, cool. I mean, anything else you want to add? Like, I feel like that was really interesting. Thanks. I'm glad I understand this now because I've heard you say it before. Yeah. And now it makes sense in my brain. Thanks. Now I feel that way. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) You're welcome. All right. Well, I got to call some more people. Yes, let's do it. Okay. Do you want to call them with me? Okay, I hit record. Hello? Well, hello there. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Hey, you got a a minute to talk to us or like two minutes to talk to us about your least favorite thing? Oh, yeah. Two minutes. Okay. I had thought about it. By the way, Emily's here. Hi. Okay. Hi, Emily. Let me get somewhere. (laughs) We just got back from 
a really long walk. Oh, fun. Trying to fix, trying to find a quiet place. All right. What, Amanda, is your least favorite thing? My least favorite thing are June bugs. June bugs. Oh, no. Oh, I totally get that. Do you mind explaining? They're so crunchy and they crunch when they fly and they get stuck in your hair and they don't just come off and they just stick to you and you have to do the June bug dance to get them off. Oh, I'm picturing it now in my brain. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And they attack you when you're trying to get in your house at night because you left the light on. Attack seems like a strong word though, Amanda. (laughs) It is, but hey, they're June bugs. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, it is. So yeah. do you have like any specific instances that you can think of that just really made you feel this way? Just or is it just multiple instances culmination. of getting caught on my clothes? On your They're clothes? Off. Oh. Like, well, yeah, I mean, they like get on you and you shake your shirt and they don't come off. Because they're <laughs> sticky, crunchy June bugs. Yeah, see, I, I kind of get that because I don't like when they get close to my ear. That really, yeah. that that scares mm. me. Yeah, yeah. Rachel just did a nice little twitchy shake. She's giving me goosebumps (laughs) over here. (laughs) I will say one thing I do like about them, though, is when, like, dogs try to chase after them and, like, snap at them in the air. I think that's really fun, actually. (laughs) I can't imagine that tastes good, though, because, again, they're pretty crunchy. No. (laughs) How did June bugs even survive in this world? I don't know. Yeah. Because they stick. And yeah. they're so crunchy, like, that's their strength. <laughs> oh, my God. That's their that's strength. That's their strength. So is this just like a, do you have any respect for them whatsoever? Or you just are just like, nope, well, I'm done? I mean, in recent years, I have learned to enjoy the green ones and, like, watch them fly because you can listen to them. Oh. Okay. And... I did some research on them and I found that some people will like tie a string to them and then what? you can like have a pet green June bug and you like fly it. Oh like it'll gosh. fly on the string. Like a balloon. You know, like... oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. You should let I your daughters let your do daughters that. do it. <laughs> yes. That will be their spring project for that for will be that will, that's the science curriculum that I can come up with. <laughs> It'll be an experiment. See what happens. Oh, Make them do a little yeah. hypothesis about what will yeah. happen with the green chumba. <laughs> it sounds like something that should be oh. in Animal Crossing, not real life. Yeah. So another non-favorite thing is like like wasps. Not wasps because I'm scared of them hmm. or because they can hurt us. But just how when they fly, their legs dangle. <gasps> oh. Their legs just hang and dangle and I don't like that. It's oh. just not my favorite. June bugs legs dangle too, don't don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. <gasps> and I don't do know they why really? I like it in the green. So when I watch the green June bugs, I'm like, well that's kind of cool. But when I watch it in the wasps, I'm like, no, that's creepy. Oh, that's very interesting. It's like creepy to me. How the, I don't know, it just seems very uh It is kind of strange. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've never. It just—it seems about very it. aloof of the wasp. <laughs> like, ooh, ooh, I'm a wasp, and I, I can go where I want. Ah, it's like yeah. an intimidation tactic. Like, yeah, like I don't yeah. care. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I I get that. I kind of get that. 
Cool. Well, thanks, All Amanda. Right. You're <laughs> welcome. Appreciate you. Dangly legs and crunchy bugs. <laughs> yes. Um, have a good rest of your day. Thanks. Um, yeah, say hi to the girls. We found a snake. <gasps> oh, Ooh, what kind? That was cool. Yeah. What kind? A water snake. Ooh, it was fun. small and immature, and it already had a stubby tail. I felt bad. Oh, oh, dang it. Poor Nugget. I've seen yeah. a lot of water snakes yeah. with stubby tails. But it was tails. cool to see that. I didn't even find it. Grace found it. Nice. Go, Grace. Cool. Yep. All righty. Thanks, right. Amanda. We'll let you get back to oh, your family. You. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. So, yeah. Alan. Yes. Um, welcome. I just uh, happened to find you having finished a live broadcast out right. in the lobby. Yep. Yeah. And then you started to tell me about how excited you were about your least favorite thing. And I was like, hey, come do it in front of a microphone. Yes. Okay. Uh, Well, all right. So my least favorite thing um, is biting midges. Biting specifically. Okay. Yeah. Well, because, you know, you have like a lot of little gnats and things that buzz around in the summertime that don't really bother you. But there are some that will suck your blood (laughs) and they are really, really infuriating because I can like I can put up with a lot. Okay, like I, I don't mind being like if I'm you know working outside or whatever, I don't mind being hot and like sweaty or I don't, don't mind being cold. I don't mind rain. I don't mind being like sore and tired. I really, really hate being itchy, though. It's like the, <laughs> it's the only thing I can't handle is itching. So these little things, they're very tiny. Some people call them like um, like no Yeah. Have you ever yeah. heard that before? Uh-huh. Uh, or can't see me's or whatever. They're, they're tiny little things. They're like... Um, they're so small that you would barely even notice them on you, right? They're just tiny little black flies, basically. Um, and their mouth parts are so tiny that you don't even really feel them biting you either. It's just like maybe a slight tickle. Like, I, I think I have like pretty sensitive skin. So like I notice if a tick is biting me or if a mosquito is biting me, but these midges, you can't really feel it. It's just like mm-hmm. a slight tickle and it's nothing, right? You don't even care until the next day. Then it's like you break out in these welts and it's horrible. Um, like when I was in um, like North Carolina for the first time, I had no idea that these existed out there so bad. Oh no! Uh, so like I went out and I was like, oh, you know, it's fine. And like no bug spray, nothing, like shorts and everything. And I woke up the next morning just covered in like red dots everywhere. And like there, there were thousands of tiny bites on me. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like I started counting on one arm and it got to like, like 200 or something i was just like holy smokes and i'm like looking up like how much benadryl can i take before i die like (laughs) like, because i like i just like i couldn't sleep it was just uh, so itchy it was horrible are these like raised bumps or are they yeah yeah they're like tiny little i mean they're not uh, big like a mosquito bite they're a lot smaller but there's just like so many of them Uh, is that why they're worse than mosquitoes i think so yeah because like I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, you know, you might get mosquito bites, but like, I don't know. They're just like, you're not going to get thousands of them all at once. I don't think. I hope not. I, I hope not. Too. <laughs> I don't know. If that, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, at least with mosquitoes, you can put on, like if it's, if you're in a place where it's really, really bad, you can wear like nets if you have to be outside over your face and stuff. And That's true. Protect yeah. Yourself nets somewhat. and all that. Yeah. Tuck everything into everything else. And yeah. yeah. But no. So like, Basically, from that experience forward, now I don't do like any field work at all. Like, if I do, if I do, when when I do field work, I mean, I'm like, I'm covered head to toe. 
Like I don't like, I will be like out there on a hundred degree day, like long pants, long sleeves. Like I can't, cause I can't handle. <laughs> Smart man. Yeah. yeah. I can't handle being itchy. Like I would rather like sweat my brains out than be itchy for a minute. So yeah. That's respectable. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's a maybe a benefit of being in Kansas right now for you then, perhaps? Yeah, it's yeah. not as bad, yeah. Because we don't, we don't have no CMs in Kansas. At least I've never no, noticed them. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I don't know if they're... There's some, like, they're in, like, the northern Great Plains for sure, but I okay. don't know if they make it down here. Because they cause, like, crazy diseases up there, too. They carry, like, orbivirus and stuff like that, so... Oh, no, I didn't even think about yeah. them carrying diseases. Yeah, they're jerks. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's my least favorite. That's a good one. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Alan. Yeah. No, um, thank you. I'm going to let you get out of here because you've been working hard all morning. <laughs> See ya. Well, um, that's going to do it for today's episode of That's My Favorite. Check out our show notes on gpnc.org slash that's hyphen my hyphen favorite. Uh, I don't have notes for every single person, but I'll put up a few things that uh, folks gave me. Thank you to our producers, the Great Plains Nature Center, um, not only for letting us record these podcasts, but uh, we're feeling pretty fortunate around here that we're still able to do our work um, despite all the craziness that's happening today. Sorry, that's our American Kestrel making noise. But yeah, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review. Would love to read those out loud for everybody. And we'll be back actually on Friday with a very special timely episode about morels from Lindsay. Because everything's our favorite. And when we're feeling a little bit bad, just simply remember your favorite things. It makes us feel pretty glad. All right. <laughs> Bye.